You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to read together verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Let's pray together. Our Father, in our singing and in our praise, in our prayer, we speak to you. But there is nothing that we can say that is more important or even close to the importance of what you have to say to us. And it is to that that we turn our hearts and our attention, our eyes and our minds now. We ask your blessing upon this time, the ministry of the Spirit of God, in bringing illumination and conviction to our hearts. May you be honored through what is about to be said. May you be honored as your word is proclaimed, because in that we receive light, and the unfolding of your word brings us light. So illumine us now, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As you read through the Bible, and you particularly see this in the New Testament, but it's actually all the way through the Scriptures, you sort of come across a dual emphases, two things that are emphasized side by side, and both of them really are given equal weight and and equal time. Neither one of these two things is emphasized to the exclusion of the other, but both of them are really equally and fairly balanced throughout the Scriptures. The one thing that is emphasized is doctrine, theological truths, right belief, right things that you have to know, things that you have to believe, things that you know to be true. And then alongside of that is emphasized our conduct or our behavior. Those are where we get the ethical demands, the moral implications of that which we believe. And in some verses, you get those two things sort of uh, stated side by side, like in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, watch yourself that is your practice, and your teaching closely. That's your doctrine, your theology, your thinking. And we never want to get to the point as Christians where we emphasize one of those to the exclusion of the other, or where we are orthodox and we don't practice what it is that we believe. Orthodoxy is what you use to refer to right belief or right thinking. When you think rightly or believe properly about spiritual truth, that makes you orthodox. Orthopraxy is where you practice right things. You, you behave in a way that is right and moral and just and righteous. And we never want to get to the point where we're orthodox, but we're not orthoprax, if that's a word. I'm not sure that it is, but bear with me. 
We never want to get to the point where we're orthoprax without being orthodox. We want to balance the two and make sure that our orthopraxy lives up to our orthodoxy. You see, you can believe right things and practice wrong things, can't you? You run across people all the time, and it happens in evangelical Christianity, in Western Christianity particularly, where you run across people all the time, and you ask them what they believe, and they would affirm to you all of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. They can defend and delineate the doctrine of the Trinity, the substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection, salvation by grace through faith alone. They know all of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. They know everything that Scripture teaches. They can defend it. They can quote Scripture right and left. And yet their life is a train wreck morally. Right? You run across people like that? They're orthodox in their belief, but they live immoral lives. They live lives that are out of keeping with what they say they believe. They live lives that contradict what they say they believe. They say they've been delivered by sin, but they walk in it. Or delivered from sin, but they walk in it. And then you can also run across people who are orthopraxic, if that's a word. Orthopraxic, that is they practice right things, but they don't believe right things. Have you ever run across somebody like that? You say, is it really possible to have right practice without right belief? Yeah, it certainly is. You ever, you ever met a Mormon? Strong family values, conservative, anti-homosexual, anti-abortion, anti-radical feminist, anti-all the things that we're anti. Socially, they're conservative. They go to church. They give their money. They help out in their community. They serve. They pray. They go to the worship services. They teach their children. Strong families. All of that. But their theology is a dog's breakfast. So they have all of the right practice without any of the right doctrine. How about the Pharisees of Jesus' day? Orthopraxic or orthodox? I know, I'm just making up words as I go along. Orthopraxic or orthodoxic? Which were they? Orthopraxic. They tithed, even in their spices. They had it all down. All of the outward righteousness. All of the outward display of faith. All of the outward practice. When it came to the law, they walked, from their perspective, blameless in it. And they, they dressed right. They ate right. They did everything right. Everything that they did was righteousness. And Paul even says this later on in the book of Philippians. When it came to the law, I was blameless. I had all of the minutia of the law down. And if righteousness could have come by the law, Paul would have had righteousness. But righteousness doesn't come by the law. So Paul would say, practically speaking, I had all of the practice down, all of the right behavior. But what was the problem with the religious leaders of Jesus' day? When it came to the truth, That they could not believe. They didn't believe the right things about God, about the Messiah, about the Scriptures. They searched the Scriptures, Jesus said, because in them they thought they had eternal life. And those were those things which testified of Him. So when it came to the actual truth incarnate in their presence, they rejected the truth. They had all the right practice without the right doctrine. We want to avoid both of those extremes. If I were to make a guess as to which one of those two traps people in this congregation would fall into, I would say you are more likely to be orthodox and not let it affect your life than you are to have all of the right conduct and not believe the right things. You're more likely to believe all of the right things. We have a doctrinal statement that's 17 pages long, covers everything you can conceive of. Everything is spelled out. We do this from the pulpit. We teach expositorily. We teach the Scriptures verse by verse. We're upfront with our doctrine, everything that we believe. We teach doctrinal, give doctrinal sermons, doctrinal Sunday school lessons. Even our kids' Sunday school lessons are doctrinal. 
The messages that we give at Awana are doctrinal. Everything that we do has a doctrinal emphasis because we believe that doctrine will determine your practice. And we can fall into the danger of being very orthodox in our thinking and believing all of the right things and crossing our T's and dotting our I's and knowing all of the details and the minutia of doctrine and church history and everything that flows out of that and all the while neglecting to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of everything that we say we believe. We don't want to fall, in, fall into that danger. Well, we've reached the point now in Philippians chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul, in verse 27, begins to implore his readers concerning their conduct. And he says in verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So you see now how his emphasis has changed ever so slightly. All of Philippians chapter 1 has the same theme, the same basic uh, subject matter, and that is the gospel. You're going to see that in a second. But for the first part of Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, the Apostle Paul in the introduction kind of lays out where he's going with the epistle and mentions all of the things that he's later going to expound upon. Then in verses 12 through 26, the Apostle Paul discusses his circumstances. You see that in verse 12. Now concerning my circumstances, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant that my circumstances have actually contributed to the furtherance, the further progress of the gospel. And so from verses 12 to 26, Paul talks about his circumstances. And we looked at that the last few weeks, the dilemma. Do I go on to part and be with Christ or do I stay here? I'll choose to stay here because it's more needful, more necessary for your sakes and your progress in the gospel. Now we, verse, we're, now we reach verse 27 and there's a little change of direction. Not a change of subject, but a change of direction. And verse 27 is the first time that the Apostle Paul gives them a command any sort of a moral or ethical obligation that has to do with their walk. And he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So you see how the Apostle Paul has changed from talking about his circumstances, his attitude, his mindset, his practice, his decisions. Now he has switched and he is focusing on the Philippians. And he's addressing their circumstance, their attitude, their mindset, their situation. But the subject matter is the same, and the subject matter for all of chapter 1 is the gospel. You notice that it's mentioned twice in verse 27. Do you see that? Only conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Then at the end of verse 27, you see it mentioned against. Again, striving together for the sake of the gospel, or in the faith of the gospel. The word gospel is mentioned six times in Philippians chapter 1, indicating to you and I, that that is the main subject, that is the main idea of the entire first chapter. Philippians chapter 1 is all about the purpose of Christian living. To live as Christ and to die as gain. That's the purpose of it. To live as Christ and to die as gain. And somebody who can say, for me to live as Christ, is somebody who has the gospel message at the very center of their lives. So you see, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 5, you notice how the Apostle Paul talks about the fellowship of the gospel, right? We were participating together or participating in, fellowshipping in the gospel. Then you see at chapter 1, verse 7, that Paul talks about the confirmation and defense of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 12, he talks about the progress of the gospel. Then down here in chapter 1, verse 27, the Apostle Paul mentions this striving together in the faith of the gospel and conduct that is worthy of the gospel. So the gospel is the central message of the whole epistle. Even verse 16 of chapter 1 talks about the defense of the gospel. The gospel message is at the heart of chapter 1. To live as Christ, to die as gain. To live as the gospel, to preach the gospel is to preach Christ. 
To preach Christ is to preach the Gospel. To live as Christ, to live as the Gospel. If you live the Gospel, you live Christ. They're inseparably linked. So in verses 12-26, through it is how does the Gospel affect Paul? Now beginning in verse 27, how should the Gospel affect the Philippians? And by implication, you and I. You see the change in direction? Ever so slightly. Only conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the Gospel of Christ. In verses 27 and 28, We're going to see the Apostle Paul first give a command, beginning of verse 27. Then he's going to give three characteristics of somebody whose conduct is fitting or worthy of the gospel of Christ. Three characteristics. You see the first one at the beginning of verse 27, where he says you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind. That's the first characteristic, standing firm. End of verse 27, striving together for the sake of the gospel. That's the second characteristic, standing firm, striving together. And the third one's in verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. So you're standing firm, you're striving together, and because I need an S word, we're going to use the term steady for verse 28. Steady, not alarmed by your opponents. Those are the three characteristics. So let's begin with the command, the command to have a walk that is worthy of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says, the beginning of verse 27, only. Now if you're reading the NIV, it says, whatever happens. The word only is manon in the Greek. It stands at the beginning of the sentence. It's kind of like an exclamation point at the beginning of the sentence. It's as if the Apostle Paul is putting up his finger, and manon means one thing, or only. I don't know why the NIV translates it, whatever happens. That's not what it means. It means only, and it kind of misses the force of it. And the force of it is as if the Apostle Paul is breaking in mid-thought, and he's saying, listen, one thing, just one thing. I'm only asking of you just one thing, like Columbo. You ever watch Columbo? Love Columbo. Just one more thing. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. Putting his finger up, drawing attention, and he's saying, I just have one simply stated, straightforward, uno request. Just one thing. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. Now you recognize at the outset the irony of that statement, don't you? I just have one simple request of you. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you realize right away, there is far more wrapped up in that statement than initially meets the eye, don't you? We have kind of a joke around my house. I'm not sure how this, well I know how it started and it's a couple years ago. I was home, I think it was for lunch. And after lunch, before I go back to the office in the afternoon, a lot of times I'll give the kids marching orders for the afternoon. This is is what's happening tonight. This is what you need to have done before I come home For dinner tonight, when I'm done work and I show up, these are the things that need to be done. So one day we were sitting around the table and I told the kids, just two things today. All I have is two things that I want you to do. You get these two things done, you can spend the rest of the day playing playing on the computer. You can spend the rest of the day playing with your toys. You can go outside and ride your bike. You get these two things done and that's it. And, of course, everybody's attention perked up and their eyes went up and they said, okay, what are the two things? Give us these two simple things and we'll have them done. What are they? Say it. Clean up the upstairs and clean up the downstairs. (laughs) Right? Just two simple things. That's all I ask. Anywhere where your mess has found a resting place, clean it up. And you get the upstairs done and the downstairs done, and the rest of the day is yours. You say, Jim, that's cruel. No, it's biblical. That's what Paul is saying. He is wrapping up all of the commands in the rest of this epistle, all of the ethical, moral, conduct requirements, and the rest of the New Testament can be summed up In that one sentence, only, just this one thing, conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the Gospel of Christ. If you do that, you've got it nailed. If you can manage to conduct yourself in a way that does not reproach the Gospel, 
That's your whole Christian life. So that's the only thing you got to do. Just conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. You see the irony of the word only? <laughs> All of a sudden you realize there's far more to that statement than initially meets the eye when we read it. It's not just one thing. It could be the ethical summary, the moral summary of every requirement, every lifestyle practiced, everything we are to be, everything we are to do in the entire New Testament summed up in that one sentence. Conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word conduct is kind of an interesting word. It's only used here in the New Testament in all of Paul's epistles. This is the only place that it's used. A lot of times when Paul is saying things like, I want you to walk in this manner, I want you to behave like this, he uses the word peripateo, which means to walk, and he uses it in a figurative sense to conduct your life. And a lot of times the New King James, King James, translates it that way. This is how I want you to walk. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to have a walk that is worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And he uses the word peripateo. He doesn't use that word here. He uses a word that is loaded with significance for the Philippians. And it's interesting that it occurs to the Philippians and not to any other church. But Paul pulls out a word from the Philippian vocabulary, one that was very significant, loaded with meaning for them, and he uses that word here, and it's the only place in all of the New Testament that he uses it. And it is the word polis to omai. And it comes from the Greek, the, the root word of it is polis, from which we get our word, or we use that part of the word in our word metropolis. That's where Superman lives, metropolis. Or you have a metropolis of a city. And the word polis was literally a city or a city-state. So polis to omai, to pala to omai yourself, or to conduct yourself, meant in a Philippian setting and in Rome to, to discharge the duties of your citizenship. If you are a member of a city or a member of a city-state, or if you are a citizen of Rome, to poly to omai meant to conduct yourself in a manner that was fitting for your citizenship. Now here's why this was significant to the Philippians and not to just any city that Paul wrote to. Philippi was a Roman colony. Not every city had that status. But this city, because it had uh, had an integral part of the, some wars and, and installing a certain emperor, they had given, that emperor had bestowed upon this city the, the status of Roman colony, which meant they didn't pay taxes. It meant that their citizenship went far more there than it did anywhere else in the empire. They were known in the day as mini-Romes or little-Romes, and the people had their status. They, they looked at their status as a Roman colony as something to take immense pride in. They loved that. And so they would adopt all of the culture and the customs of Rome, the dress of Rome, the language of Rome, the fads, the, the calendar, everything that was Rome. They just tried to make it a little mini-Rome. They had a level of self-government that no other city enjoyed. They had freedoms that no other city enjoyed because they were a Roman colony. So their status was something that they valued tremendously. We covered this in Acts chapter 16 when we went through that. I'm sure you remember all that five years ago. We covered that when we went through Acts chapter 16. And I mentioned to you that as that as the status as a Roman colony was something to be coveted. It was not something that they wanted to lose. And if any member of that city did something that was unbecoming as a citizen of Rome or something that Rome deemed to be a reproach on themselves, they would revoke the status of a Roman colony and they would lose all of their citizenship privileges all of their uh, freedoms and all of their abilities to govern themselves and their tax-exempt status. So all of the people in the city would politu-omai, they would conduct themselves in a manner that was worthy of such a high status and such a high citizenship, lest in doing something that would bring reproach upon Rome, they might negatively affect the entire city and have their status revoked. That's the idea behind the word conduct yourself. 
It doesn't just mean behavior. It means to discharge all of the obligations, all of the responsibilities of a high status and a high calling, a high citizenship. It was sort of a political word. You say, is that really what Paul means here? Well, you can't ignore the fact that over in chapter 3, verse 20, if you look at it for a second, he reminds us that we are, our citizenship is in heaven from which we wait for a Savior. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, you have every right as a citizen of Philippi to take pride in your status and to enjoy that status. But remember that you have a higher citizenship. You belong to a higher kingdom, a different kingdom. And so as a citizen of heaven, you are to conduct yourself in a manner that does not bring reproach upon all of the rest of the citizens of heaven or do anything that might negatively affect your own citizenship. Now, you understand this as a citizen of the United States, don't you? You can do things as a citizen of this country that would negatively affect other people's opinions of other citizens in this country. You can do things that bring reproach upon the other people in this country by behaving yourself in a way that is unfitting for a citizen of the United States. We enjoy freedoms that people in other parts of the world only dream about or have never even thought about dreaming about. We enjoy those freedoms as a matter of everyday course in our daily life and our conduct. But with freedom comes responsibility. With the freedom that we're given comes responsibility to act in a way that doesn't impose or take away the freedoms of another citizen and not to besmirch or to demean another citizen. We have that responsibility. It's the same thing as a citizen of heaven. You can behave or conduct yourself in a way, and so can I, that brings reproach upon the other people who are sitting in the pews around you. You understand that? You go out in the world tomorrow in your business, you tell people, I attend Kootenai Community Church, and then you behave as an immoral person who blasphemes God's name by your conduct and your uh, lack integrity and you're not honest in your business dealings and people begin to equate, oh, Kootenai and crook. And you, by your crookedness, you bring reproach upon all the other people who attend church and worship here around you. You have the ability to do that. Don't do it. As a citizen of heaven, conduct yourself in such a way that you don't reproach heaven. That you don't besmirch heaven. That you don't reproach God, reproach Christ, reproach His Word, and reproach the Gospel. Conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the Gospel of Christ without bringing reproach upon your brothers and sisters in Christ. Politu'omai. Conduct yourself like a citizen of heaven. Just, just this one thing. Act like a citizen of heaven. Keep in mind you're a citizen of heaven. And don't act in such a way that people say, oh, that's how citizens of heaven are? Why would I want to go there? Bunch of hypocrites, bunch of liars, bunch of people that lack integrity, bunch of people who don't have a rightly placed affection. So just conduct yourself as a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now what does it mean to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? What is the gospel? And friends, if you begin to just reflect for just a few moments on what the gospel is and what the gospel does, then manner, a lifestyle that's worthy of the gospel becomes evident what Paul means by that. What is the gospel and what does the gospel do? The gospel is the proclamation of the good news of what God has done to save sinners. Not the good news of what you and I can do, but what God Himself has done. And we can't contribute to that. We can't add to that righteousness. We can't acquire that righteousness. It's given to us on the basis of faith. That's the gospel message. So if I'm going to conduct myself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel... That means that I'm going to stop striving to acquire or add to my righteousness and simply trust only in what Jesus Christ has done to save me. That's what it means to live in a manner worthy of the Gospel. The Gospel has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of light. 
Therefore, if I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel, I'm going to walk in the light. And I'm going to come out from among the deeds of darkness and have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but to conduct myself in a manner that speaks of light. The Gospel's broken down the wall that divides Jews from Gentiles. So in the church, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, Scythian nor barbarian, or slave nor Greek, male or female. So if I'm going to conduct myself in a manner that's worthy of the Gospel, that means I'm not going to be a racist. I'm not going to look down on people because of their nationality or because of their skin color or because they have some sort of a, a, a stereotype against them. I'm not going to show partiality and treat wealthy people better than poor people or well-dressed people better than poorly dressed people. If that's what the Gospel is, if that's what the Gospel's done, then when I conduct myself in a manner worthy of that, that means that's how I'm going to behave. I've been made a new creation in Christ. So if you're going to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ, that means your orthopraxy meets your orthodoxy and the two are the same. So that you behave yourself in conjunction with or congruous with your actual profession of faith. If you say this is what I believe, then you live it. And you know, our lifestyle really betrays what we truly believe in our heart. Does it not? I was going through this with the kids the last couple nights. We've been going through the Gospel of John. We've got to the point now where Jesus is before Annas and Caiaphas. And uh, the, the John does this in a masterful way. He changes between Annas and Caiaphas and Jesus' trial to Peter. So here's Jesus speaking the truth with authority, handling himself with integrity, in control of the whole situation, not worried. And then Peter. Hey, weren't you one of his disciples? No, not me. And then John transitions back to Jesus. Tell us, what did you teach in the temple? And Jesus said, I taught in the temple. Go ask people who were in the temple. They'll tell you what I taught. And then he struck in the mouth, and Jesus says, if I've testified rightly, why do you hit me? But if I've testified wrongly, then, then testify against me. And so there you have this picture of Jesus who's steady as a rock, telling the truth, speaking the truth, speaking up, and then back to Peter, warming himself by the fire. Hey, weren't you with Jesus and the other disciples? No, not me. The slave girl says, no, you were one of his disciples. No, not me. Three times he denied him in the cock road. And I said to the kids, when he got all the way through that whole scenario, I said, what commandments there did Peter break? Well, of course he lied. But it, lying was not just the only commandment that Peter broke. What else did he do? He had another God before God. What was more important to him than God? His own safety, his own security. What else did he do? He had fashioned a God in his own mind for those few moments that allowed him to lie and to justify his wrong behavior and his lying for the sake of his own security. He'd broken a lot of the commandments there just in that one little lie and denial of Christ. And Peter in that moment, when he denied the Lord, betrayed or belied the beliefs of his own heart. What did he really believe? Peter believed that God wasn't in control of the situation, that God wasn't predetermining and predestining what was about to happen, that God needed Peter to get Peter out of this mess, and that Peter would be, uh, Peter would be beaten and Peter might be crucified and that Jesus would lose one of his disciples. He had all this messed up idea of who God was, what God was doing, and what this whole thing was about. And his behavior demonstrated that. Friends, when you and I sin, when I sin, what we do is we really demonstrate through our behavior what it is that we truly believe. We may confess all day long, I believe A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z, but if our behavior doesn't match that, what it really shows is, no, I believe this with my mouth, but over here is what I really believe in my heart of hearts. Conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. As a citizen of heaven, as one who has every reason to be proud of the citizenship that you've been given, live your life in a way that corresponds to the truth that you say you believe. Worthy of the gospel of Christ.
Now, why does Paul ask this of them? Look at verse 27. There's a reason. So that, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you. So that when I come and see you or if I remain absent, whichever one, why is he, do you notice how he's back and forth now between the two options again? You say, Paul, you just made a decision last week, right? Verse 26, we finally saw him say, okay, I'm going to remain on with you. But here the Apostle Paul is saying, although I would choose to remain with you because it's more necessary for your sake, he's really not in control of that situation. And so Paul is at the same time acknowledging it may not be God's will for me to remain on with you for your progress in the faith. So I want you to conduct yourselves in this way so that whether I remain on and come and see you, I may show up in Philippi and see that you're all doing well, that your conduct is fitting for the Gospel, that you're living out the Christian life, that God is a finishing that work that He begun in you, that you're working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that I would see that this is true of you. But it may be that God in His providence and by His sovereignty will not allow me to come to you. I might spend the rest of my days in prison. I might be executed or I may be released and be unable to come to Philippi for some reason. So that if I'm absent, I may hear about you from somebody else that you're doing well. See, Paul is interested in their progress in the faith. You remember that from verse 25 and 26? He's interested in their progress in the faith. And so he says, look, I want you to conduct yourselves this way so that whether I stay or whether I go, whatever it is in the plan of God, I'm either going to see or I'm going to hear about you that things are going well and that you're walking in truth. Because as John says, there's no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And that's what Paul wants to hear of the Philippians, that they're walking and progressing in truth. That's the reason. Now, how, what would he hear of them? Get down to verse 27, the end of verse 27, he would hear three specific things about the Philippians that are their characteristics of somebody who walks in the truth. Three things that characterize somebody who's walking in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. You see it at the end of verse 27. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Striving together for the sake and the faith of the Gospel. And verse 28, steady in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Now we've reached the point where we've got to look at those three character qualities or those three characteristics of somebody who walks in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Far too much. There's so much here that in those three words of what it means to be a citizen of heaven, standing, striving, and steady in the face of opposition, we're not going to have time to unpack it this morning. So we're going to pick it up next week. We'll look at the characteristics of somebody who walks in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. One final observation and application, and we'll close together in prayer. All the way through Philippians chapter 1, the subject has been about the Gospel of Christ. And here is what Paul has said, and here's what we've seen Paul do. In all of his conduct, in all of his considerations, in all of the decisions that he had to make, there was one primary thing that was at the focus and the heart of everything he said and everything he did. And it was the Gospel. For Paul, it was all about the Gospel. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are, Paul says, the Gospel's progressing. It doesn't matter how people treat me, the fact that they're preaching to cause me, uh, out of selfish ambition, to cause me harm, that doesn't matter. As long as the Gospel is being preached. As long as we have the fellowship in the Gospel, as long as the Gospel is healthy, it doesn't matter what my condition or my situation is. Whether I go or whether I stay, what's the determining factor? One is going to mean the progress in the Gospel for the Philippians, so I'll choose to stay. Every decision that he made, everything that he thought, everything that he did, everywhere that he went, everything that he was, was determined by the Gospel. Everything was underneath that one primary consideration. Jesus Christ 
Him crucified, risen again, giving salvation to all who will believe in Him. That's the Gospel. And everything Paul did issued forth from that. And now he gets to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and he's saying to the Philippians, I've, sh- I've told you what this is. I have modeled to you what a Gospel-centered life is, and now I want you to have a Gospel-centered life. So ask yourself, how am I supposed to conduct myself in this situation? The answer is a simple one, isn't it? Just one thing. Just one thing. That's all it is. Not clean up the upstairs, clean up the downstairs. Just one simple thing. Ask yourself, what is the gospel? And then what is conduct that is worthy of that gospel? The gospel has made you and I citizens of heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. That's where our citizenship is. And so you and I are to live in such a way that we do not reproach that citizenship or other citizens. And if we get this one thing down, worthy of the gospel, that one thing, that's the entire Christian life and conduct right there. Anything that's not worthy of the gospel is not worthy of your lives as a citizen of heaven. And so as somebody who had modeled the gospel, whose primary consideration was the gospel, Paul says that's what it is for me, and now I want you to adopt the very same mindset the very same attitude, the very same perspective, the very same conduct. Make the gospel the primary issue in every decision that you make, every place that you go, everything that you do, and every way that you conduct yourself. And next week we'll look at the three characteristics of somebody whose conduct is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word, the encouragement that is there. We thank You for the Apostle Paul and what he has written. And our hearts are touched by the realization that You have given to us such a high and holy calling. You have called us into Your own glory and kingdom and power. And God, we ask that You would make us into Gospel-centered men and women for the glory of Christ, that we might conduct ourselves in a manner that does not reproach You in any way, but honors and glorifies You. When You are our sole affection and joy, then we will live in such a way as to glorify You and never ourselves. Change us from being selfish, self-centered, self-seeking men and women into being gospel-centered men and women who love you, love your word, and strive for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.